I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's east side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. And good morning. Welcome to What's Next. Today we're going to be talking about the P through 12 climate education bill that is under review at the state legislature. The bills would establish a course of instruction and learning expectations on climate education in public pre-kindergarten, elementary, and secondary schools. It would enable educators to explore the causes and impacts of climate change and also provides learning opportunities, resources, and ongoing support for teachers. We have a panel of four people with us uh, today to uh, get into this uh, uh, very large uh, issue with us, Tandahi Yahoku. Tandahi, a uh, student of environmental design program at the University of Buffalo. Tandahi, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Also with us, Dr. Alexa Schindel, Associate Professor of Science Education at the University of Buffalo Graduate School of Education. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Dr. Don Haas, Director of Teacher Programming at the Paleontological Research Institution in Ithaca. Dr. Haas, thanks for being with us. Very happy to be here. And Thank from you. now on, I'm going to call that the PRI, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's absolutely and also fine. <laughs> Valerie, That's what we call it. <laughs> Valerie Duong uh, is a climate justice student assistant at UB Sustainability and also with the Western New York Youth Climate Council. Thank you for being with us. It's an honor. Thank you. Uh, there is a lot to talk about here, but it's about getting uh, climate education in the classroom. General question to start, is there not climate education in the classroom in New York State right now? That's a great question, and the answer is mostly no. Um, my sort of bottom line question for talking with legislators and other folks about this bill is ask the kids. Mm. Ask, ask the kids if they are getting the climate change education they want and deserve, and almost universally you will hear no, they are not. Um, it's uh, typically one to two hours a year um, for teachers teaching climate change, which uh, we are in a climate emergency, and that's just not enough. Let's uh, talk maybe to, to Valerie or to uh, Tendahi. Uh, Tendahi, for you, um, you were in high school 10 years ago. How much was it taught 10 years ago in your class, in your classes? Um, it wasn't taught very much. Yeah. Uh, the only opportunity I really got to be able to learn about climate change and to learn about environmental justice was through um, AP Environmental Science. Okay. And that's a class that about probably 20 out of 100 kids in my graduating class actually got to take. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity to be able to learn about renewable energy, uh, food systems, uh, industrialization, um, and how that impacts our world. Um, and I think that being able to take that course and have that be comprehensive across the board within all our subjects will um, encourage kids to be more innovative, more inspired to want to tackle climate change. Is that something that's, uh, when you, I like what you said about innovation. Is it fair to say that because this has not been taught in schools that we're missing 
we're not getting that, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on when it comes to climate education or climate uh, uh, change. But at the same time, is it safe to say or reasonable to say that if, let's say, if this teaching level had been in place for the last 10 years, that perhaps would be further along? Who wants to tackle that one? Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that we would be further along, which is why this bill is so crucial, because it creates such a streamlined approach to how we educate our community, because ultimately we are going to need people in the community who are moving these initiatives along, which is why establishing an Office of Climate Education and Workforce Development is so crucial, because from preschool to 12th grade and beyond, it really creates just this transitional pathway for youth to become part of the green workforce. Um, And to answer your earlier question, I am 21, so I graduated just a few years ago. Um, And I only (laughs) really heard about climate change twice in my whole high school career. Twice. Twice. (laughs) Um, In terms of being in school, um, since I did get involved in climate in between my junior and senior years, um, the first time was really when it was on the test. Which seems silly because if you're going to test me on it, right? Like, Maybe you should have you, mentioned it. Shouldn't you teach me about it? Right. Um, luckily, I, you know, was interested in climate issues, so it wasn't an issue in terms of my grades. But um, the second time that I had heard about climate change within the context of the classroom was when a teacher told the class that she really wanted to teach climate change and climate education. But she couldn't and she felt like she shouldn't because she was worried about community pushback, Mm -hmm. which is another reason why this is so important, because it shows teachers who really do want to teach climate change and teach about climate solutions. And it shows students who really do want to learn about climate change and learn about climate solutions. And it shows parents who want their children to learn about climate change and climate solutions that there is an option to teach climate change, that there is a place to teach about climate solutions within the classroom, and that not only is it an option, it's absolutely necessary. As Valerie was speaking, I also, um, it, it came, it flashed to my mind about school boards. Mm-hmm. And we hear lots of things about that are happening on school boards on a variety of issues. And I, again, this is kind of a generalization, but uh, is, it, is the sense that you've got to get this bill passed because if you wait to go through all of these different levels of approval and things along those lines, that it's going to be too late? Yeah, I think, um, so that ties in a lot with your first question about the lay of the land, right? And um, presently, New York City has taken a great leadership stance on um, climate education. They have an Office of Sustainability. Um, They've got a teacher workforce and task force that's um, dedicated towards creating materials, educating one another. They've got professional development. They've got a, is it a mini, mini course series? A, um, a mini credential in teaching climate change, which is mm-hmm. uh, just, um, it's a three course graduate, uh, three graduate course sequence that actually started last weekend. And I am heading to New York City tomorrow to teach the, um, to co-teach the second class in the course on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. Um, and that's a collaboration between the New York City Department of Education, uh, the American Museum of Natural History, the uh, City College of New York, New York City Parks, my institution, the Paleontological Research Institution, and, uh, and others to um, uh, develop this uh, credential for New York City teachers that says they know something about teaching climate change. And so we have hundreds of school districts across right. the state of New York, and they're very diverse, right, with diverse interests, diverse needs. 
Um, and so when we have a location such as New York City that is willing to put this forward and is, is promoting this and um, providing the training and things for educators, um, that's a great pathway for them. But it's piecemeal then for the rest of the state, right? So we, um, we know that a lot of teachers, a majority of our teachers, when they go through um, uh, teacher training programs are not getting um, climate education integrated within their programs. Um, and so a majority of the teachers that are within the state don't really understand or know, um, e- either have the knowledge or the resources to um, integrate climate education effectively um, or in age-appropriate ways. So um, it's currently just being kind of piecemeal across the state, really. Do we have a sense of, uh, to hear Valerie say that she heard about climate change twice in high school, and high school wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Is it... Uh, is there a sense of teachers' desire, their appetite for getting involved in this? Is there a sense that there are teachers out there, yeah, I want this, yeah. I want the resources, I want the ability to, to, to teach this in my classroom? Yes. Or is it, yeah. not, uh, well, it's just another thing on my plate? O- yeah. Overwhelming, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and generally, this is an unusual bill in that almost everyone wants it. Um, 81% of New Yorkers, include, uh, um, uh, according to a survey from uh, Yale's uh, Climate Communication um, Center for Climate Communication or something like that, I don't remember the exact name, um, but 81% of New Yorkers uh, want climate change taught in school, and um, and the uh, the county with the lowest percentage of people who want it is 68%. So, um, so everybody wants it, and you know I think it's it's very much worth recognizing that when you look at a uh, large group of Americans or New Yorkers or whatever, the teachers tend to follow the what the public opinion is about matters. So uh, everyone, virtually everyone, wants it. Those numbers, uh, I mean, it's interesting to hear because that sounds like it's overwhelming, like you said. At the same time, I, I don't know if I get that sense. Maybe I'll, it's more of a national landscape than a yeah. New York state landscape. Right. Yes. But is that, I mean, uh, you, you must interact with people not just in New York state and locally, but around the country. I mean, do you, do you see a similar appetite? I mean, any sense of that anecdotally or, or factually? Or Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So um, I am a psychology major okay. at the University of Buffalo um, in my undergraduate degree. And something that we observe a lot, not just only in youth, but in the general populace, is climate anxiety. Because mm. it is deeply terrifying to know that the climate, which is not just trees, but really the environment at large, including our homes, including where we live, um, is collapsing in on us because we haven't been taking care of the climate. Um, and you can see this very physically, very tangibly in the extreme weather events that we have been experiencing, whether that's flooding or lake effect snow or air quality events from wildfires that have been exacerbated by climate change. It is very nerve-wracking to face these issues because they are so large and it feels hopeless at times when you do not have the right education and the right infrastructure to support your understanding of climate issues and climate solutions. So I would say that a lot of pushback potentially could just come from climate anxiety um, and a lack of awareness around how important learning about climate is in terms of coping with that anxiety or even a lack of awareness around that climate anxiety. Um, And those are all things that can definitely be addressed with a comprehensive bill like this one. 
Yeah, and I think adding on that, um, you know, imagine a nine-year-old sitting in their uh, elementary school classroom this past June when the skies were turning orange and mm. you could feel it in your throat and you could taste the smoke. And um, the argument against not teaching about climate change because it scares kids, I think, falls apart because, you know, is that kid going to be more scared if they know what's going on or if they don't know what's going on? And I think as a general rule, we get less concerned. Our anxiety goes down if we understand what's behind um, the, the threats that we face. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anxiety is really just a challenged relationship with uncertainty, discomfort with uncertainty. But if you can dispel that uncertainty with education and with teaching about solutions, which this bill absolutely does, that can really resolve our anxiety to a point that it's not that big of a deal anymore. And it's something that can be coped with instead of ignored and compounded through that lack of education and support. Another yeah. another aspect that I think has been leading to anxiety in our young people is um, that they're seeing the people that are in charge not um, taking action, not taking a leadership role. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the, imp um, the things that led me to working on this climate ed bill is um, what am I doing to help change the system? Um, how am I going to help my kids and the rest of the kids in the state of New York um, learn about climate education in ways that are going to help them develop the knowledge, the skills, the tools, um, and to see productive actions so they can help make a change yeah. as well. I, to, go ahead, Tintai, yes. Yeah, I agree with everyone here. Um, I think especially like within the areas that I've been studying, renewable energy technology and environmental design, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying urban planning. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, like within those two majors, we had the lowest um, student, uh, what is it called? The lowest student uh, populations within our majors. And that is because a lot of people do not understand uh, the importance of building an uh, urban environment that can mitigate and uh, adapt to climate change. Uh, people don't understand the importance of building out renewable energy systems. Um, and I think that when we have a climate education that's robust and teaches people, actually, this is why this is important. You are inheriting the planet that are going to be facing these issues. Um, I think there will be more of a rise in interest in people uh, entering into those majors so that they can be the the um, innovators, the solution-oriented um, people who are coming up with the, the next generation of solutions to, to climate change. We're talking about uh, a bill that's on the... Uh in the state legislature right now, the uh, P through 12 climate education bill uh, with the four guests with us uh, today. Uh, can we maybe talk about, because it's P through 12, and other states I know have ha maybe taken the lead on this to a certain extent and making sure and finding ways to teach about uh, climate education. Uh, can we talk about how and what we might, what kids might be seeing and what how it might be addressed i would assume of course that it would be addressed differently to somebody who's in 11th grade as compared to somebody who's in first grade but can we talk about that a little bit what we what what types of lessons are being are being taught or uh, sure. could be taught yeah yeah go ahead um so the the first so i'm the author with my colleagues a co-author of the teacher-friendly guide to climate change and I believe the first sentence of chapter one is uh, weather tells you what clothes to wear and climate tells you what clothes to own. Mm. And that's a pretty, you know, basic, understandable to little kids, to, you know, 
old folks like me. Right. Um, and and so that's that's a, a place to start. And you know, just um, you know, if you're sitting in a place where you can see the outside right now, you can look around. And you know something about our client climate. You can read information about the climate by looking at a picture of a place and um, and recognizing that you know we don't have cacti here, so um, it's yeah. probably not a not a dry <laughs> place. And at the moment, we don't have leaves on our trees, so that tells you um, something about the climate here. And you can begin those understandings of basics of climate and weather very early. Probably more important than that, though, is an appreciation for nature and and getting kids outside and and doing things outdoors so they just enjoy the natural world and interact with trees and plant stuff and things like that. I think is the is where to begin. I don't know if you. Yeah, another aspect to this, I, I kind of want to hit on an important piece that's related to your question, which is how climate is interdisciplinary. Okay. Um, and inter- interdisciplinary lenses have been used to understand climate for you know long time. Um, it's it's interdisciplinary in how we look at climate, how climate has shaped people's cultures, um, the ways that we respond to and um, continue to enact our daily lives, and so um, and you know it's also obviously political. So while we typically have been thinking of this as climate science, right? Well, science is sometimes, you know, it's how we understand that the earth system is changing um, rapidly right now. Um, but this, but science is not the only location where this topic should be taught and, and yeah, experienced, right? Exactly. right? Um, and science is not the only tool that we're going to use to get us out of the climate um, uh, climate crisis. And um, just as I think Tendahi's um, explanation um, uh, touched on, um, climate resiliency is one of the huge topics that we're looking at um, in terms of um, moving forward as a state, right? Um, how is it that we're going to change and enhance roads, buildings, all of our infrastructure um, to deal with the massive flooding that is one of the huge um, issues that New York State is going to be dealing with? Um, in times in related to these extreme weather issues, right? So I think it's important that we recognize that interdisciplinary aspect. Um, it's going to take um, bringing people together. It's going to take politics. It's going to take policies in order to navigate our way through this changing system. And when you say interdisciplinary, I mean, uh, uh, math and science come somewhat obvious, uh, mm-hmm. but English, um, yeah. social um, studies. Yeah, the National Council of Teachers of English has a position statement on teaching climate change in the English language arts classroom, as well as a book that supports that. Um, and in social studies, for example, the you know social studies you're expected to teach about um, the United Nations and you know what has the United Nations been doing most prominently for the last many years. Well, that's work around climate change, um, and you can't teach about. Uh, climate change without teaching about energy, or, or at least you shouldn't. It would be like teaching about lung cancer without teaching about smoking. Um, and uh, um, our energy history is very much related to climate change. I mean, I think it's reasonable to argue that climate change really was kicked off by the Industrial Revolution. So changes in energy history, uh, points of, of, of turning in energy history are, are really interesting and really important for understanding our impact on the earth. 
Um, it is also very much worth noting uh, how I think all of the major challenges that we face as a civilization are, are hugely interdisciplinary and schooling, especially from grades six to 16, is hugely disciplinary and that's a real problem and a real obstacle. But if we can at least get climate change addressed across the, clim uh, across the curriculum, then we can help students piece those uh, parts of the complex issue together and, and with an eye towards making the world better. You know, Valerie, you, you, your work with the Western New York Youth Climate Council, you see, I hate to use the word enthusiasm for something that's addressing a crisis, but you see that passion, though? You're seeing it um, from members uh, that you know, would, would have embraced this type of education if they had an opportunity to, to experience it? Yes, act actively, yes. They seek out climate education. So on top of their schoolwork, on top mm. of their extracurriculars, whether it's sports or clubs, etc., they go to climate workshops. So they are actively taking time out of their lives and their busy schedules to pursue climate education. So there's no doubt that they would want to have that within their curriculum. Um, and because the Western New York Youth Climate Council was founded by youth, for youth, working in climate justice, a lot of our work has been very much education-based. And it's something that the youth want, it's something that the youth want to be involved in, which is another reason why this bill from CRETF has been so special, because it was really founded by teachers, parents, students, and really just a whole community. Um, it's without a doubt something that youth are deeply enthusiastic about when they are informed enough to understand how to cope with their climate anxiety to the point that they can really discuss these topics in a deep and thorough way. I'll add that youth are co-authors on the bill. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How, um, <laughs> um, so when you say youth, I mean... Uh, be more, be more specific. Um, yeah. Some of the youth who work with Kretif, Kretif, <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> to say, C-R-E-T-F, right. um, uh, have helped to um, co-write this legislation. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, very so well. that includes high school students and college High students. school students yes. writing legislation. Yes. Yeah. yes. And they've been, um, we've been going as an intergenerational group to lobby in Albany. There have been three lobby days. There's a fourth one coming up March 27th. Uh, I went to the first two and um, I went to the second too. Yes, and all, all four of all us, four of us mm -hmm. went to the second. Drove, drove together to the second one. Um, In and an electric car. Yes. <laughs> 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 Excellent. <laughs> and it made it the whole way, right? It, well, we did have to. It was a long journey. It make okay. it longer. Okay, but, uh, uh, very uh, good. <laughs> um, but we, you know, stopped for dinner in a charge. Uh, um, and it's really remarkable to. Uh, see the students talking to the legislators um, about how disappointed they are in their mm -hmm. climate change education so far. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's been really powerful for a lot of legislators, and I, I hope that trickles up to the governor and uh, um, um, across the aisle. Uh, but um, they've, it, it really has been a powerful experience to go to Albany and talk to legislators. I had, I had not done that in Albany. I had made one trip to Washington uh, before, um, but uh, ever I think uh, I think if I had done that as a high school student, my life probably would have ended up a little different. <laughs> you know, one day experience in Albany. Yeah, a powerful lesson in civic education. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm interested uh, looking a little before like you, Tendahi. I assume this is 
one of your first times, if not, in fact, your first time talking to legislators in the, the lobbying process? Yeah, that was my first time. It was a really exciting experience. I think even being, you know, a part of that just fueled the passion that I have and that the other high school students had for doing this work. Did you feel that you were engaged, that uh, the people across from you were listening to what you had to say, that uh, that they were there with you? Um, I think that there were some folks who are a little bit more resistant because they don't understand the importance of the climate education bill. But I think for the legislators that have been doing this work and are deeply invested in and pushing the bill forward, they were really engaged. Now, Valerie, I know you've done some work locally lobbying, but also, but I want to talk about the state experience for you. How was it? It was really interesting, I think, because we did have a wide range of reactions from the people we met with. Um, we had some people we went in to talk with uh, who technically weren't on paper having signed the bill, but we went in there like, oh, we signed this. This is just, um, you know, in processing. So that was interesting because we were among friends very clearly. Um, and I got to meet with one of the representatives um, who actually spent most of our time together just discussing the work that we do in the community, which was not what I was expecting. I was expecting to come in and talk about the bill. Um, but once she kind of got to know us a little more and hear more about my work with UB Sustainability, which is the office on campus that runs the Climate Action Plan and facilitates the Climate Action Plan, um, the 10 and 10 UB Climate Action Plan is the official name, mm. um, to reduce emissions to net zero by 2030 using 10 strategies um, and we just talked very very briefly about the bill in terms of it supporting comprehensive climate education she said oh climate education yeah I'll sign it which is really interesting right? <laughs> um, you don't always get that but um, I, I really enjoyed that experience although it was definitely unusual um, but something that I did find was compelling for uh, many of the people we met with was the fact that this education is already legally mandated by the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act in terms of the fact that we need climate education to implement the CLCPA that was passed in 2019. Because you're not going to be able to get the labor force to do all of this green work that we need and have already agreed to and committed to unless we have the education piece. So this bill is really just the transitional aspect to what we've already agreed to do. And that seemed to be something that was very convincing and compelling for the people we met with because this is stuff we already agreed to do. And it's the full package and an absolute no-brainer. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a, a time out on what's next. We're going to talk, continue our conversation about climate education and a bill that's in front of the state legislature this year. We're going to take a time out on what's next. This is What's Next on WBFO. Looking for something great to watch on TV tonight? Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to find out what's on WNED PBS. Did you know that WNED PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate, and that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at WNED.org slash local shows. 
While you're there, check out the show pages and mini websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to What's Next. Uh, panel of four with us talking about uh, climate education today. Valerie Duong, also Tendahi Yahuku, uh, Dr. Don Haas, and Dr. Alexa Schindel. Um, we were talking about the, the lobbying process a little bit just uh, when we went to break, and uh, some of the folks who have signed on to this bill already, uh, the climate education bill, um, s- strong support right now. How would you rank it? What do we see? You know, it seems to be um, growing rapidly. I rapidly, think, I yes. think. Okay. Or has been as a result of the, uh, the three lobby trips were three Tuesdays in a row, um, January 23rd, 30th, and uh, February 6th. And they seemed effective. Uh, we've got uh, more than 30 sponsors b- between the um, Senate and the uh, Assembly. Um, and I should note that... Uh, Andrew Gennardis is the lead uh, sponsor in the Senate, and Joanne Simon is the lead sponsor in the Assembly, and um, and they are they are getting interest behind the bill, and hopefully it'll actually get out of committee and get a vote. That's by no means a given, um, but we're working on it. Mm-hmm. We also have a couple of meetings with the State Education Department uh, coming up February 29th and March 8th, uh, and it's important to. Um, to work with uh, the state education department. Uh, uh, New York education law is complex in the uh, dealings between the state education department, the board of regents, and the state legislature and what they can legally legislate. And uh, there were eight, uh, eight bills, eight climate change education bills in uh, committee in the last session didn't make it out that now none of them made it out one of those was senator gennardis's which we uh, worked with uh, his office to substantially um improve <laughs> well, what, 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 do you not understand the objections without why they didn't get out of committee or well, I mean, these committees always seem so secretive in yeah. some ways um i uh, crudely summarizing i think the bills weren't as well informed by uh, understandings of the relationships amongst those three entities, the Board of Regents, the New York State Education Department, and what the legislator is allowed to legislate by law. And that is, um, that makes uh, curriculum change slow. It makes it slow to change what's taught in classrooms. Um, And there's good reason behind that. We don't want uh, political whims to you know, change what's taught every time a different party gets elected uh, and, and things like that. Um, but this is a, we are in a climate emergency and virtually everyone agrees that we need to do a better job with climate change education. So we need to move faster than the uh, mechanisms of uh, change in education typically work, but we're, we're working on that. I would agree with that. Um, absolutely. I think um, one of the other aspects that we've been you know, told 
by legislators, by the governor's office, and by the teachers union is what um, is that they they want to see a groundswell of support. They they want to know that this is what the constituents across New York State. No, but we are have we have. I mean, I mean, the, the survey that was mentioned earlier sounds like it's a no brainer, right? Yes. But right. that's not the same thing, right? We're not talking about the same thing in that regard, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, acknowledging that yes, this is an important issue in all of our lives. I think that's where that um, aspect of the survey comes comes from. But um, demonstrating to the people who are in positions of power that we want things like this to change within our school system is something different. Yeah, and I'll note that um, go to CRETF.org uh, slash policy, and you'll find the action toolkit to support the bill so that you can, if you're an educator, you can sign on to our educator letter of support, and there's a letter of support for um, that can be signed on by just, you know, your average citizen, and uh, that same letter can be signed on by institutions, and there's information about uh, sharing about uh, the bill on social media and how to talk to your legislator and a, a link to, um, to reach out to your senator and your assembly person um, to encourage them to sign on to the bill or, or thank them for signing on. Um, the thing that you just highlighted here, like our toolkit for action, I want to highlight that um, that that um, there are several other states who have put forward climate education, and we haven't quite talked about that yet. Right. Um, and so um, how this came about is um, a variety of ways, but um, CRETF was was formed or co-founded um, a few years ago. I think it was 2018 or 19, and um, and um, became also a a, a um, uh, a tool for change, right? And and so one of the things that CRETF um, began doing is looking at the policies and the enactments of what climate ed was um, occurring or how climate ed was was being implemented in other states. And we have two really great examples in Washington and in New Jersey. Um, and those were sort of top-down leadership states. So they have very different um, structures than we do in New York State. Um, but it came from top-down leadership. It was the governor's office in um, Washington, and it was the governor's wife in New Jersey who said climate is it is really important. And in New Jersey, they um, revised their standards frequently, and they revised them to include climate education throughout their standards. And their throughout their their standards are that means P12, um, and it's interdisciplinary. Um, and so what we did is we um, we looked across the um, landscape of New York what was occurring, what was not occurring, and what was necessary to make um, really high quality and age-appropriate climate education. Um, and so then we put all of those pieces into this bill. Okay. Hey, I'm, I, I'm interested about this because, again, you, you're, yeah, I like the what you used the term, I think, groundswell, groundswell support. Groundswell, grassroots, right. important. I yeah. want to maybe throw this at uh, Tendahi and uh, Valerie to a certain extent, this particular question. When you're having just general discussions with – whomever, your parents, friends, uncles, aunts, whatever the case may be, is there a, a generational cutoff where you see people really interested at this age level and people who are just either you know, don't want to talk about it, uh, just would rather put it aside, that are another age level? I'm, I'm wondering about your experience in that. Because I'm sure <laughs> I get the sense that when, when, whenever you're talking, somehow this this particular issue is not too far from from your topics of discussion. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's especially as like an ecological justice coordinator in Buffalo, I'm talking to people of all different ages. 
Um, I really think that because climate change is, it hasn't been um, amplified throughout um, the messages that we've been taught, the education that we've been that we've had. Um, a lot of people, especially older generations, don't really talk about those issues. I think they care about um, public health and the health of their communities, their families, uh, but they don't really understand and haven't been given the chance to understand how the environment, how climate plays a role in their health um, and the health of, of the people that they love. Um, and I think that it's more younger people who are on YouTube or on Instagram and see you know, in their feed constantly seeing different videos about the wildfires, about the uh, flooding, about the increased severity of storms um, that are that have that climate anxiety and want to do something about it. Um, and I think it's important that the younger generation who have access to that information um, as to where the older generation um, who haven't had many of those chances um, to encourage them and to speak with them to have those conversations. Valerie, can you echo that? Yeah, I mean, really building off of what Tendahi said, I just want to preface with saying I love intergenerationalism. That's why we have CRETF. It was built on intergenerationalism. Um, there is no limit on... But but in that particular case, you're, you're working with supporters already. Right. I'm talking about yeah, maybe absolutely. people aren't there is so no supportive. There is no limit on age. I have talked to uh, climate change deniers in the past. Okay. Um, interesting conversations, it's, I'm it's sure. It's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> you kind of have to pull them aside from the rest of the group and like talk with them because otherwise they take up the whole time. That's ah. not what the event is for. Um, Great technique. I'll, I'll, right. I'll make note Absolutely. of that one. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of a bystander intervention thing, you know, conflict resolution, you know, very psych major of me. <laughs> um, but I found that, like Tendahi said, there is a gap in understanding across generations for sure in terms of what climate work really means. So the way that I typically explain this to people is that there is a difference between environmentalism and climate justice. And I feel like those who are older typically think of climate work as purely environmentalist okay. in terms of we care about trees and we care about water and we care about land, which we 100% do, but that is not all of climate justice, which is what we are aiming for. We are aiming for climate justice work that accounts for the social justice aspects of environmentalism, like Tendahi mentioned about, you know, environmental injustice when it comes to pollution that disproportionately affects communities of low income and communities of color um, disproportionately, which needs to be addressed within climate justice work, which is different than environmentalism. And what I often find is that when I talk with those who are older and kind of have that um, information gap in terms of environmentalism versus climate justice, you'll find that they do deeply care about climate justice when they finally understand what that means. They care about the health of their communities. They care about the health of their loved ones. They care about their health. Um, and they just need a little extra support in helping understand how climate is related to other facets of health through climate justice. Uh, would you like yeah, to add? Yeah, well, uh, for one thing, um, dealing with controversial e issues, teaching about controversial issues is a area of my expertise, uh, <laughs> and we address that in the Teacher-Friendly Guide to Climate Change. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, there are rules, there, there's a set of rules of thumb in the book about, about that, and I will also note the full text is available online. Um, uh, and there's... There are all kinds of uh, things tethered to the intergenerational issues. I and mean, for one thing, the 
uh, old folks do use social media in a very different ways than young folks <laughs> tend to. Yes, um, I generalizing, do. Generalizing, generalizing. <laughs> um, I, I just learned this morning that there, uh, the uh, Flat Earth Buffalo um, Facebook group has 2,800 members. I don't. It's a private group, so I don't know what the content of that group is. But I it's can quite imagine. Quite a title. Has but the title maybe, is, maybe speaks for yes, itself. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, and and I think very interestingly, there was a study done of just a few years ago that showed that young people um, teach their parents and their grandparents about climate change, and fairly effectively, especially um, daughters teaching their dads and and, and grandparents, which. As a father of girls, I'm not all that shocked by that, <laughs> um, but I but I do think that's interesting, and and I think that's uh, a powerful uh, piece of the potential uh, for this legislation. I also uh, should note that um, when I do presentations and workshops and whatever setting I'm doing that in, I deputize everyone as uh, climate change educators and okay. communicators. So um, all you listeners out there, <laughs> I am hereby deputizing you to, to go out and, and talk more about this. One of the fundamental problems for many years around climate change is that people just were not talking about it. Right. That has changed, and that has changed because um, Mother Nature has been giving us dope slaps uh, for the last uh, few years, and and people are starting to pay attention, and it's you know all over the news now and, and just hard to vo avoid. So people are talking about it more, so um, you should go out and talk about it, and you should Take on an action and talk about the action that you're taking on and talk about it in ways that both let people know what you're doing so that they might do the same or they might critique what you're doing and, and help you do something better. Um, thank you. I also want to highlight and um, sort of build off of the comments around environmental and climate justice that Tendahi and Valerie shared. And while those, um, those, those issues just have such a multiplier effect, right? Um, but at the same time, so do our educational injustices. And um, one of the huge educational injustices is the opportunity. And, um, and then that opportunity, of course, is going to multiply or the lack of opportunity. Um, and so um, in Tendahi's story, for example, as um, you learned um, about, about climate change only in um, taking AP environmental science. Um, and if, uh, as Dan, uh, Don, your, your numbers are, what is it, 10% or less than 10%? Less than 10%. Of students take AP right. environmental science, right? right? Um, and so we can't look at this as like a privileged topic or a topic where only some students get to learn about it. Um, in addition, there are going to be some really fantastic green jobs out there that are going to be available. I'm glad you brought that because there's something I definitely wanted to get into there. Yeah, mm -hmm. and if we're not preparing our young people from across diverse landscapes across the state, um, young people from um, uh, all sorts of backgrounds, then we're going to have a workforce that is not open to, um, to their diverse understandings, right? Um, and and so it's just really important that we're we're looking at this from various lenses, right? And and that was because uh, you brought it up about the, the labor force because actually I think Valerie touched upon that a little earlier. Uh, just m m let's have a little bit of a discussion just about what that would look like because I think that would help connect the dots, so to speak, from what we're teaching our kids to what they might be able to do when they become college age and become professionals. Let's just talk about the types of jobs that we are talking about here, because I think this is a, an exciting part of this conversation. 
Yeah, um, I think even in uh, the city of Buffalo, okay, um, the biggest piece of the puzzle in terms of greenhouse gases is transportation. Um, and if we ever want to be able to transition to um, forms of transportation that aren't harming people's health, uh, we need people who are trained in being able to repair not only gasoline power cars, but EVs. Uh, we need people who know how to fix bikes and e-bikes. Uh, we need people who are installing bike racks throughout the city. Um, and it's important that we have those opportunities, not only for the jobs to exist, but people to actually know how to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another example of jobs would be anything that has to do with energy, because energy is absolutely huge when it comes to climate change and probably the primary thing, I would say. Right. Um, and I would just really like to highlight that economic justice is a crucial part to climate justice because we're not just creating jobs, we're creating good green jobs. Good green jobs that create healthy, thriving communities, um, jobs that pay well, jobs with safe, um, healthy working conditions. That's really all a part of the just transition when it comes to transitioning to climate justice. Um, and it's really just going to take everyone across all of the disciplines, which is, again, why it's so important that we have such an interdisciplinary focus within this bill. Yeah, and there there are lots of good examples of, of things going on in New York State. And um, that, unfortunately, the, uh, the world's largest... Um, battery recycling facility uh, was being built uh, in Rochester and construction on that has has halted Um, but uh, hopefully that'll restart Um, uh, there are interesting things uh, going on in Ithaca um, PRI my organization is an affiliate of Cornell and we're working with Cornell as their outreach partner for their uh, Cornell University Borehole Observatory, Kubo, which is part of their deep geothermal heat research project, which is hoping to uh, transition uh, campus heating from natural gas to um, uh, heat from deep within the earth. So the summer of 2022, they drilled a two-mile deep hole on the edge of campus um, to uh, see what the conditions are like at that depth, and it's, it's warm enough. It's a Another question as to whether water can be uh, uh, can flow down there. The the goal is to have a few pairs of holes um, that are at that depth that uh, you pump cold water down one, you get hot water back up through the other, and you pump that through the radiators on campus. Which, as I said, right now, the, that water is heated with natural gas from the combined heat and power plant on campus that used to be coal fired, is now natural gas fired. Um, very interesting to see the the um, drilling project and uh, talk to the workers on site who six months before they were um, uh, working on one of the most uh, cutting edge renewable energy products projects right. in the world um, they were oil and gas field workers and after the drilling was complete they went back to being oil and gas field workers but the same set of skills um, is very very relevant for uh, doing deep geothermal uh, heat. Um, and uh, uh, Cornell also has the now long-running Lake Source Cooling Project, which uh, cools campus with water from uh, deep within Cayuga Lake. That is less transferable because not everybody has a, a deep, cool lake next to right, where right. they are, but uh, that, that's been working very well for Cornell for, I think, over 15 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, the Tesla... Um, mega factory here in Buffalo 
has not lived up to its promises, uh, initial promises, but it is making renewable energy with renewable energy. It is located here because Niagara Falls um, allows them to produce um, green energy infrastructure using green energy to do that. Uh, and it, it's also worth noting that upstate New York has the lowest carbon grid in the country um, because of Niagara Falls and, and nuclear providing most of upstate New York's electricity with uh, another 6% coming from wind. So we only get 20% of our electricity in, in uh, upstate New York from fossil fuel sources. The last coal-fired power plant shut down in the state a few years ago, um, and we're not going back to that. I'm quite sure. So right. um, these changes in energy um, sources are also, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, important throughout um, world history. When we change energy, we change history. And uh, I think if people think that we're going to keep on running on oil and coal and natural gas for the long haul, uh, they're probably wrong about that. And I, I think I, I can think of a couple presidential candidates yes. who want to think otherwise, <laughs> yes, and, right? Yeah, and, and just one, one more thought on, on that vein is, you know, imagine if we can change the transportation system uh, between 2020 and 2050, the same amount that it was changed between 1920 and 1950. In 1920, the leading transportation fuel in the U.S. was coal. That changed uh, very rapidly, and I think we can see that scale of change again um, in a better direction, that uh, in a healthier direction, and we need workers to do that. And, you know, and just a quick segue off this, because I have you here, Tendahi, and you know, you've, you talked about your work as environmental designers. You've desc described urban planning. Just give a, a, an overview of how climate change is impacting that field of study and how, like you said, communities have to be more resilient. Things that are coming into your thinking uh, and need to be thought about as, as we move forward here. Yeah, I think that the field of urban planning has changed drastically. Um, I think from previous decades, uh, people have been uh, focused on, on infrastructure, um, architecture, and how it blends into urban planning. Uh, but I think that in the recent couple of decades, we've seen a shift in urban planning as to where, you know, we change it to things like environmental design. So when people are applying for the major or studying within the major, they're thinking about that environmental piece of it. Um, and many of our courses, um, introductory or electives, um, they weave in climate change into every topic that we're studying. So if we're talking about uh, uh, parks for folks. We're talking about how green space is impacting people's public um, and mental health. Um, if we're talking about um, infrastructure, we're talking about uh, having gray systems that allow for flood water to be able to uh, mitigating flood water so that our cities don't flood. Um, and I think that all the different topics that we're covering, we're making sure that uh, the highlight of it to, to emphasize the that we are in a crisis and that there needs to be an education and there needs to be um, a tangible way to be able to solve the different issues that are going to be occurring in the, in, the, in the foreseeable future. We're coming down to about the last five minutes of our program, so I want to give everybody a chance, since you're, you're a panel of four, you've been kind enough to come here and join us individually, perhaps if you could, and it's tough because I'm putting on the spot here, about a, I'll give you about a minute each, a call to action, what you want people to do, after hearing this conversation, we'll go from right to left, Valerie. 
What are some of your thoughts? Look, and I put the pressure on you, but I know you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can handle those those climate deniers, you can handle this. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for the vote of confidence. Um, I would definitely just re-echo um, that we have a toolkit for action from CRETF. Um, that would be CRETF.org/policy. There are all sorts of action steps on there that you can take. You can read the full bill there. We do have an upcoming Albany trip right um, that I'm sure March 27th thank you um, that people are welcome to join I believe that we may be able to get um, different transportation options for that as well um, and really just just show up reach out to one of us um, I am with the Western New York Youth Climate Council. Um, you can find us on Instagram with WNY Youth Climate. I am also the climate justice student assistant at the University at Buffalo's sustainability office. Um, so you can contact me there as well if you want to do on-campus UB initiatives. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Don, how about you? So I'll, I'll echo, check out uh, CRETF.org slash policy and um, and. Uh, contact your legislator talk to your legislators about this talk to your uh, talk to your kids you know see if i'm telling you the truth when i say that they are um uh, mostly disappointed mostly overwhelmingly disappointed in the climate change education that they've received and you know it may not the change may not come through this bill but uh, i am hoping that it either will or the state education department will uh, stand up and take notice and do something else instead because if not this bill then what are you going to do instead because it is very very clear that we need to do a better job with climate change education and if you're an educator and you want resources uh, to teach about climate change uh, take a look at the teacher friendly guide to climate change you can find that at, on the pri website um, priweb.org um, and uh, if you want to reach me you can go to the staff page on, on there and, and send me an email or give me a call. Dr. Uh, Schindel? Yeah, so absolutely I echo um, the, the things that have already been stated. In addition, um, we have put in budgetary requests to the governor and to the assembly um, and our budget request is $20 million. Um, one of the members of our committee looked up the price that it um, cost the state to pave one mile of road, and that's $1 million. So we're asking for 20, um, the equivalent of 20 miles of road to educate all of our students. Two um, of a two-lane road, yes, <laughs> two to clarify. Road. Okay. <laughs> 20 <laughs> miles of a two-lane road. Yeah, right. um, and, and so we think that that's a drop in the bucket in terms of the state budget. Um, so... So yes, contact our legislators. In addition, if you are an educator or a teacher looking for resources, um, while we are, I'm on part of the advisory committee for creating a hub for New York State, um, um, a climate education hub. But in the meantime, um, you can go to New Jersey's Climate Education Hub and find a whole host of resources that you can use. Tindahi, uh, you're you're batting cleanup on this one. What do you have to say? <laughs> um, I fourth everything everyone has been saying. Um, but I think also, um, in addition, uh, if you're passionate about being a change maker, it's important that you also take the initiative in doing the work. You know, talk to your community members, your parents, um, anybody within your network about the different issues that are going on within the climate. Uh, talk about the different green workforce opportunities that are going to be coming up. Talk about some of the community-led solutions, um, like a community garden. Um, talking to the sewer authority to get, you know, greater uh, flood management uh, put in. 
just talk to people in your community about the different issues that exist within your environment um, and, and push the change forward. Tendahi Yahuku, Dr. Don Haas, Dr. Alexis Shindell, and Valerie Duong, thank you very much for joining us on What's Next. Thank you so thank much. You. This has been What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.